Hello. May I welcome you to my new podcast, Moving Matters. I am your host, Colin Wynn. I have been an avid podcast listener for the past few years, listening while on my daily walks with Bruno, my adorable chocolate Labrador. Towards the end of 2019, I began to discuss the idea of starting a new podcast for those working within the UK moving industry. So during the recent pandemic, I set out to do exactly that. Moving Matters is a new podcast which I hope will give you an insight to others working, or worked in the case of some of my future guests, in this wonderful industry, as I delve into their past, their present and their future. You will find a new episode of Moving Matters on the second and fourth Thursday of each month. I had great fun recording episode two with my guest, Nigel Shaw from Specialised Movers who are based in Sheffield. Nigel, just like last week's guest Gary, is another well-known individual from the moving industry. A character, as some would say, and I have had the pleasure of knowing him for many years now. Do enjoy. So Nigel, welcome to Moving Matters, my new podcast. How are you doing? I'm good, Colin. I'm good. How are you, mate? I'm very well, thank you. Very well. Very excited. Very excited. (laughs) So can you tell everyone a little about yourself and the length of time in this wonderful industry? Well, Colin, you know the ups and downs of this industry, and I've seen it all, mate, that um, I left school to become an engineer and... um, First of all, thought to myself, was this the career that I really want? So I, I did all the apprenticeship, everything else. Loved it. Um, that was, and then in 1982, uh, I went to work in Holland. So I was over there for about a year and came back. And um, then it all started with the removals. So we bought the first truck, um, me and a partner, Paul Simpson, and it had got a blown-up engine, Bedford TK, as they normally was. Borrowed £300 off my mother and um, rebuilt the engine. And then there it all started. So from the one truck, we bought another Bedford TK. Um, all on the promise of doing one job to Oxford for a guy who was repairing a roof for. And looking back on it now... We had no idea about removals, um, and we found out that if we had have moved the guy, who probably died in the meantime, <laughs> we, we would have been in a position where we'd have needed three trucks for the amount of stuff there was, but we just had loads of ambition, loads of character, and um, the job never happened. So we were stuck with two Bedford trucks, and uh, it all went from there. So... Yeah, that's how I started in the industry. Uh, me and Paul, we we loved every minute of it. And uh, we worked on the vans together, went delivering three-piece suites. Um, and then Paul left to go and work in Holland to do scaffolding. Um, but why, 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 when you came back from Holland, did you decide to go into the removal industry? Why, why all of a sudden, what made you decide to, well, I know what, I'm going to buy a truck? Well, there lies the issue. I came back and we were repairing the roof. And the guy, the doctor, said to us, I'm moving to Oxford. And I said, we can do that. And he says, well, I really like you. Just do it. I'm not going to ask a price or anything. So we went then looking for the solution, which was a truck. Um, 
which we did. We bought the truck, rebuilt the engine, and the guy never moved. <laughs> so we were stuck with two trucks because we bought another one in the meantime. Um, and we delivered three-piece suites all over Scotland. Uh, we spent many hours underneath and repairing them because um, they always broke down. But, yeah, it, it, was a, it was an unusual start. And then we were stuck with the trucks, and then it was a case of let's market ourselves as Sean Simpson removals. That's how it all started. Um, Paul Simpson, who was my partner at the time, me and him was really, really good friends. Um, but Paul decided that he wanted to go out scaffolding, and how the times has turned, he comes back and near enough runs the company for me now. So I was going to say, everybody, everybody must know about Simo. Oh, Simo's the character of this place. He's actually transformed it as well. I mean, Paul deals with all our commercial division, and he will be the one who will benefit from this when, it, um, when I move out. Um, he's got a passion for this this business, and um, I was really pleased when he came back. We were starting to build a business then, and uh, he loves the job. He loves the people, and he's probably the next character in here. So tell me about your current company. How did Specialised Movers come about? <laughs> well, the, the, the current company, Specialised Movers, started when we was working for Pickfords. Um, we started working for Pickfords as Sean Simpson, and Pickfords at the time was called um, the Careful Movers. So our vehicles were branded very close to the Pickfords vans because we was working for a guy called Nigel Grice, was the regional manager um, and we expanded by buying four or five trucks we'd had them all branded up as specialized movers and we was given all the jobs that pickfords weren't going to do wouldn't do couldn't do and at that time i had something like 25 guys working on pickfords every day somewhere somewhere in the country there was one of my guys working on a pickfords van doing all the work that pickfords either couldn't do or wouldn't do. And um, we built on that, on the back with Nigel Grice, and it was, Pickfords was being very successful at that time. We then diversified into working for Bullens, doing all their commercial. And um, yeah, it started to build from there. So the Specialised Movers brand really was, um, was born from the Pickfords, the Careful Movers, because of the amount of work we did. Um, was then seconded then to doing all the international work to Germany for the GFA. And I had six drivers at any one time running Pickford's trucks over to Germany. And answering the question, how did the Specialised Movers brand start then and where is the company now? From that, we seen in the market that um, we wanted to give what Pickford's managers were selling, but we wanted to deliver that. Um, so we actually went to the market, never took any Pickford's customers, started marketing it as marketing ourselves on doing the really high-end type of stuff and the commercial. And um, the brand just grew from strength to strength, more on delivery than on the sales. And um, and now if, if you look at the company, we probably run 18 large trucks from two branches, um, probably seven, eight small vehicles minibuses um we have a fleet um of well when i insure it with uh, when i insure it with greg i'm sure there's about 30 vehicles on there so somewhere along the line it's um it must be doing something right 
Going back to Pickfords, were you doing their commercial work or were you doing the domestic work or were you doing both? Was Predominantly commercial. So what was happening with Pickfords, they had some really, really good salesmen and they'd also got the Pickfords brand, which was absolutely outstanding. When the managers were going out selling the Pickfords brand, we was in a position where we was being able to go in and, and actually say, well, we'll move that office or we'll do that for X number of pounds, Pickfords are putting the margins on. But we knew we'd got the skill set with the guys to be able to get these jobs done in good time and make a profit on the time we could save on the jobs. Um, so, yeah, we, it was predominantly commercial, but the domestic market as well, we, we, we was into that in a really big way. And specialised movers at the moment are predominantly commercial? I would say probably 60% commercial. You're probably running at about 30% um, domestic and 10% international. Albeit the international is not something that we oversell, albeit we are kitted up for it. But the um, I just don't see the margins in the international moving being worth the amount of aggravation. I can find more paying on my own doorstep than going to Europe to find it. <laughs> <laughs> So what challenges have you overcome? Um, well, there's been many challenges getting up to the uh, to where we are now. I mean, in 2004, we had a guy get killed on, uh, on site. Um, it was the biggest tragedy and probably the thing that would have changed all the company. But um, we, we actually did a machine move and um, the information we was given was wrong about weights, et cetera, et cetera. And he was a driver who started with about three days before we'd, we'd inducted him we'd absolutely done everything and um the, what what actually happened is the machine fell off the fork truck and he went to try and save it um it was probably the worst day of my life but um it was a situation whereas nothing could, we could have done could have avoided the human um reaction of moving to something that was falling um but it did um, and I mean, if, if anything, money or whatever could have brought the guy back, I would have started again from nothing and give him everything I'd got. But um, that was never going to happen. But um, fortunately for us as a company, taking that to one side, the tragedy and, um, and the heartache of actually someone dying in your service, um, as a company, we was taken to court on corporate manslaughter, the initial charge. Um, but because we were members of the BAR, we got absolutely everything order in order. Um, the health and safety have to find something wrong. And there was actually two charges when it finally went to court. was a slight oil leak on the engine. Um, and not having emergency procedure, where to land an helicopter if someone got injured. So we had all the risk assessments in place. And so on. But the, the health and safety, it took them three years to get this to court. And um, they had to find a couple of cases that they had to bring against someone when there's a fatality. That is just the format. Um, we was the first and probably the only case to have a, a fatality um, actually heard in a magistrate's court. Normally, it's just transferred straight into Crown. Um, that probably sees the level of how 
how much we had done to make sure it was right and then we got all those procedures in place so we finished up coming out of that with a £9,000 fine um, for the slight oil leak on the engine which had nothing to do with the accident but something had to happen so from that day um, it was either make or break from there at that stage we'd got his own truck with a crane on uh, we're probably running about six trucks and I would have given up at that stage um, but I managed to grow the strength with Carol to come back from it and say well we'll make it from here so we, we built it back from that and um, probably use that as a milestone and thought to herself, we need to move forward from this. But that's probably the biggest challenge I've ever had in my life. And how has the pandemic challenge been for you? Do you know what? I have this belief with the pandemic that we've done everything right. We was closed down when we was recommended. Um, we believed, I mean, we all went into the unknown of this. We believed at the time, if everyone had closed at the same time, the work would have been at the other end of the filter. Um, so we did the right thing. We, and, and the comment I'm actually making to my customers, we'll probably be remembered more for the work we didn't do in the pandemic um, because the customers we are moving now are the people who are new customers who are probably respecting what we did. The old customers are the past customers. They're not the people I had all the aggravation with who was telling me at the time that you can't do this, you can't do that, you will turn up. We're going through court cases and so on and so on. And it was like, I don't think you realise we're in the unknown here. We, we really need to understand that um, this is more than just moving your furniture from A to B. You're actually playing with people's lives and, and so on. And I, I just couldn't, I just couldn't, put my head round going out and privately moving people or commercially and the only work we did was for the NHS and for any vulnerable people for the council contracts we have people that were in danger or and and at that stage we were in contract to the hospitals anyway and my guys because of the situation volunteered to do that work so obviously a deaf in the business if you could change anything from the past, I take it that would be one of those things. That would be the, the main thing that you would change. But is there anything else that you would change at all? Well, to be quite honest, Colin, you're exactly right. If there were anything I could change, I'd change that. But that is something that I have no control over. It was something, it only ever happens to one company in however many hundred that's going to be. Unfortunately, it was us. If there was anything I was going to change... Um, around about the business and everything else i probably wouldn't have bought so many trucks as well we run uh probably kept the staffing levels down and and probably looked at more being profit focused as opposed to doing the mass work and then having lots of trucks and lots of people um yeah th there has been challenges out there um but do you know what i don't regret other than the the actual fatality i can actually say that it's nothing that I regret in what I've done all the way through. I've met some fantastic people in this industry, um, and I've loved it. I've loved working on the vans. I've loved working with the office people. I've loved the BAR. Um, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. So there's not a lot I could honestly say I regret. So what's your high point of being in this industry? I'm sure there are many, but you must have one that stands out. Well, there is many, mate. There is many. There is many high points, and I mean, 
when we won the um, the actual moving Qatar, I mean um, that was something special. The the contract was to move the Qatar National Library, um, which presented its challenges, as you can imagine. You're going out into um, you're going out into an Arabic country. I personally backed off from that and left it to the people who said they were going to do it. Um, Rob and Paul went out there, secured the job at fantastic money. Um, so the eye point was really when they actually said, yeah, come out here and do this job, probably £350,000 the uh, contract. Um, we had it done in 16 weeks and um, the margin was very good. So I would say that was probably a very high point. Um, and then on the back of that, we followed it with moving the Royal Marine Engineers Museum, which was another major move that literally fell into the following year. So, um, so yeah, they're two really good eye points. Um, I enjoy the removal so much, so I have eye points every day. I walk into the place and, and I look around at some of the staff, and it, it does give me an eye anyway. <laughs> so what advice would you give to a young Nigel just starting out in the industry, having, having been there for so long now and you've still got years ahead of you, I'm sure, but what advice would you give to somebody that's just starting out? Do Apart you, from don't do it, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what, Colin? I think the advice is, is listen to the people who's done it and been there. And, and these guys who I took the training from, I mean, your David Buntings of this world and your Nigel Grice and um, the Howard Whites, all these people were absolutely superb at what they did. They could sell the job. They knew how to make money. They knew the margins. Um, and they wouldn't work for nothing. So the advice I would give is it's not a quick return on cash, this job. I personally have done very well out of it. But that's over a long career of time. Um, And the other thing is as well is, I mean, obviously, um, an actual statement you once said to me many years ago when we took your software, you you have to think about what you would do to save time to be doing something that can make you more money. Um, A good software will do that. You actually put the software in place um, just for instance, I still speak to people who do storage um, by sending them out individual, by typing them out. They must spend three and four days. Um, and all that changed overnight where you press a button and your storage invoice goes out and so on and so on. But in that time, it were probably giving me time to go to the pub, not being sat in, not sat in front of the computer and typing it. Mrs. Jones and Mrs. Smith has got three containers in knocking it into a into a um, calculator. So I would always say look at the advice, look at the um look at the things that the other people have done to get to where they are. Um and listen. And I know that a lot of people will try and go in their own tangent and think to themselves, well, I know better and I want to buy that and I want to do this. Um but yeah, I mean I, I would honestly say take Take the experience from the other people and really, really, en- well, engross that experience because there's a lot of people out there, probably like myself, who would love to share some of the things that we've done and um, and see other people come on. I mean, we're all out there. We're all in a competitive business, but I don't see um, the next person to me as a competitor. I just, I just see them as another person doing removals. 
Would you also recommend that they go and get all of the accreditations that, that, well, not necessarily all of them, but you as a company, Specialized Movers, have an awful lot of accreditations these days? Um, do they matter? Um, Will they get you business? Yes. <laughs> if I was to tell you the reason why, you when you are actually tendering for jobs now, um, you will find a lot of people um, or a lot of the companies, you're incumbent and you need to be there and the person buying needs you there. So the criteria that they set out at that time probably does need some of the things in the quality standards. Um, let's say, for instance, if you're working for um, a telecoms kind of company, they would want you have want you to have 27,001 um, secure transfer of data, et cetera, et cetera. And it can be a pass or fail on a tender document. So we decided to go out and we actually got 11 quality standards. We're proud of it. Um, it actually makes the company better. We, we adhere to it. Um, and once again, one of the other very nice people or very good people who I've known for many, many years, uh, Peter Gorthrop, who's our inspector, and he's very thorough, um, when he's actually doing his job, the, um, the friendship goes through the window. He has a job to do. But do you know what? Another statement he made, the quality standards are there to make your company better, same as having a good software. And if you follow the procedures in the quality standards, you've got a better company out of it. It's not just a case of ticking boxes. It's making your company better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So five years down the line, Nigel. Well, where do you see yourself in five years? Where do you see specialized movers? Well, I've probably only got about another year, 18 months at the most, that I'll be in the company um, in the same role or the active part that I am. I am looking now. At, I always promised when I was the CMG chairman, which is a six-year term, really, the two years lead in, two years chairman and two years lead out, uh, which is coming up in May next year, that um, that I'm the past chairman. I finish that in uh, May next year. And I always promised I'd see that out. But um, I see myself probably coming in a couple of days a week. We're in a fortunate position that we own the property as well. Um, so we're actually the landlords of the limited company, which makes us in a pretty good position personally. So... My belief is I couldn't have got to where I am without the staff that I've got around me, around me and those staff will be looked after in what we're going to do going forward. I'll still be around. I'll still be able to go to conferences and I'll still be there. But the next five years, I will probably, well, I'm pretty sure I'll be out of it. So as you said, you're past CMG chairman. How did you get involved with that what, what what made you decide to go for chairman of the cmg what did you do with it you know did you enjoy your time there absolutely loved it absolutely loved every minute of it um if i was to honestly say david bunting in um 97 was the one who came and asked me to join the cmg and the bar together um we joined them both together we always was looking at the BAR being a, a goal too far. We never thought we'd just get in. We would get in there. We actually achieved all the criteria, and we was in. And once we was in, I was working for David Bunting while he was at uh, Whittles, and we were supplying him with staff, etc. 
And um, I got to know David as more or less my mentor. He is the guy that I look up to and think to myself, he's the guy who got me on this ladder. And um, so he was the chairman at the time of the CMG. Uh, in year one, in 97, I actually joined the council of the CMG with Brian Maidman. And um, in that time, obviously, I've seen many people in BAO. But me and Brian stuck it out, Brian Maidman and myself, and we really enjoyed it. We had a lot of construction into the CMG. Um, I worked, I worked um, with Brian on getting the 8522 together, and we obviously went through a lot of the challenges at the time in 2008, through all the financial crash and so on. And um, So I was actually a councillor for about 17 years on the CMG, um, voted in every two years, and um, probably gained a lot of the backroom knowledge to it as there was more and more people passing through the CMG. You'd have people join the CMG council for a year, two years, three years, and then move on. Then another councillor would come on. But me and Brian stayed there all the time. And it was a good foundation to understand the CMG, the politics, um, and everything else around it, the finances to it. Um, I was made the treasurer of the CMG probably about 2004, 2005. So really I understood everything that was going off. Um, but the when I actually became the chairman, um, we, we was which was obviously in 2016 and 2017, um, I absolutely loved it. I really, really enjoyed it because I've got the foundation of everything about the CMG having all that time in there, I understand. I understood where it needed to go. I understood what the what the, uh, the membership thought about the CMG, which, to be honest, is very little. And I tried to change a lot of that. We put I, I, In my chairmanship, we put in place the um, UCAS accreditation for BS8522. Um, we changed the, um, the commercial mover of the year competition. Um, there was many things that you do that probably don't hit the headlines um, that came to the front. We've just had a uh, best practice in moving guide made, which has had to be edited with COVID-19 and the different practices towards that, etc. So, yeah, I really, really enjoyed being the chairman. And when I finished being the chairman and handed it over to Steve Weber, um, I was given the past chairman's medal. And I'm so proud to wear that whenever I go to a conference or anywhere I have to go in the, the public eye. It's really nice to be have been the chairman of the CMG. And to be honest, it was probably a, a long-term passion that I really wanted to do it at some stage. But I was always happy to be in the background at the time. So the CMG, to be a member of the CMG, you have to be a member of BAR. So I take it, did you join BAR to become CMG or did you join BAR first for the domestic side and then get involved in the CMG? Well, really, it was a little bit of a fast track, but it had to go in that kind of an order. My, my ultimate goal was the CMG um, because we was big into working for Whittles, Pickfords, Aragreen at the time and, and many other major corporates. Um, but what we actually did is there was more or less saying to us, you need to be a BAR member. So... We, we applied to be BAR members. We ticked all the boxes for that. 
And on the back of that um, was getting the CMG membership, which was you need to be the BAR member first, get the CMG member on the back of that, um, which was just another add-on. So, yeah, it went very well. So, yeah, the, we, we, was, we was a BAR member for probably about six months, three to six months, and, and went straight into the CMG. I probably know the answer to this question already, but for any removal company out there that's just starting up or isn't part of an association, <laughs> do you recommend the BAR? Because I most certainly would. Absolutely, absolutely. I have many conversations with the people, and there is a lot of people out there who are capable of being BAR members. And the thing is, is they become bean counters, worrying how much it's going to cost and et cetera, et cetera, and what's the return on investment. But to be quite honest, you can never, ever put a value on whether it worked or not. The only thing I can say, it's been a massive help to us. And I cannot put a price on it, but I took the company from borrowing £300 from my mother in uh, in 87, so I'm sorry, about 82, up to it being a £3 million a year company now. So, And I'm pretty sure the BAR and the CMG have been a big help to get me up there and the friends I've met through the BAR. So the answer to your question is the BAR has been very important to us. And I would honestly say to anyone, anyone who can make them standards, join it. The money's not the issue to it. You are a winner of the CMOTI back in 2012. And you are pretty much year on year in the finalists, the final three. When are you going to win it again? <laughs> Do you know what? It's been an absolute curse knowing David Bunting. <laughs> there was many people who used to think to me, it must be, it must know David Bunting is going to win it every year. And we're, I think we're one of probably only two companies that's entered it every year since we first started. So, <laughs> so knowing Dave Bunting might have been the curse. But um, I can honestly say there is no one like David Bunting. He, he actually is so thorough. And he actually goes into a zone with that um with that judging and unfortunately in the next I, well I think it's after next year um, he's stepping down as the lead judge um, when am I going to win it again? Probably when he's gone <laughs> 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 no, he, he, he has been an absolute star um, the, the competition is absolutely transparent. I would encourage absolutely anyone who's in the CMG to enter it. The marketing in 2012 for us was phenomenal. We um, we did everything. We branded it to the hilt. Um, we still brand 2012 as now. And in 2009 um, in Brussels, we actually won the category of commercial mover of the year, but we didn't win the overall category that Eads won. Um, but we actually got commercial mover of the year for the major awards. And me and Bill Tiernan often laugh and joke about that. But, um, but yeah, it means a lot to us. I mean, you walk into our office, we've got an award of merits right through the office. Um, we've got a bigger trophy cabinet than West Ham. But, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, winning it was, was a massive achievement. And it's on my goal to win it every year. I mean, we was finalists last year, finalists the year before. And we always just miss it on that last little bit. And we look at what we get wrong because you analyse um, your results when it comes through. And it's so fine that everything is on fine margins right at the top. But 
I've never ever been ruffled or thought to myself, he should have won that, shouldn't have won that, because I actually know the competition, how how tight it is and how hard people and how much effort put people put into winning it. Well, winning it is a, is a pinnacle, of course, but being a finalist, you know, that's pretty damn good, let's face it, Well, to be in the final three. But you're in the final three year on year. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. So yeah. you can't be that far off winning it again. <laughs> I love it. Two more questions for you, if you don't mind. Yes. So what do you do outside of this industry? <sighs> what does Nigel and Carol do? Obviously, Carol's not here, but what does Nigel and Carol do outside of this industry just to chill out? Well, five years ago, I got a shotgun license. Never, ever thought I would get one, but I did. Um, and I started going shooting, clear pigeon shooting, actually. I'm not into killing things. Um but I go with some off-duty police, well, not off-duty policemen, sorry, retired policemen. And um, we travel around all over, but we make a day of it. We go out shooting in the morning, pub in the afternoon. We're that drunk. Carol has to come and pick us up and take us home. Um, and then Carol decided she fancied some of that. So we started going on Saturdays as well. Um, so I've been, I was doing that five years ago and probably did it up till about a year ago. And then obviously the lockdown and, so on, we haven't done it. But the worst thing is now is the passion, well, not the passion I've got for it. Unwittingly, I've got a collection of cars, which <laughs> I really, really need to stop doing something with. I'm struggling for room on my drive. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I love cars. I love the, um, I, I love all the different types of cars. I love old cars, classic cars. Obviously, we've got the two vintage vehicles that we take to shows and, um, and I think this next couple of years, we will be taking the vehicles to the shows more often. Um, I have a Range Rover Holland in Holland, which there was only 100 made. Um, and Carol bought me a Bentley for Christmas. So what more can I say? <laughs> She's the keeper. <laughs> and I do believe you have a wonderful pond that you're going to be fishing from at some point. This sounds daft, this Colin. I have got an half acre pond well it's a lake in a um with half in it with another acre of land and we just had this brand new house built it's absolutely stunning and we're only 200 yards off the sea um but it's one of these things i think the fish are the pets so i don't want to catch them and i love fishing but i go fishing somewhere else so i've got a lake full of fish that i don't catch because i think they're my own <laughs> probably no more by name um over the last year we had the new well that's the last two years we've had the new house built and um over the last month they've been digging the lake out so it's about 10 foot deep now and uh, it's really really got a lot of big fish in it so yeah it, it's um it might get my fishing tackle in it but i don't want to catch the fish <laughs> <laughs> and to end now john and i appreciate your time with this to end do you have any funny story from the removal industry? I don't care if it's rude or whatever. It can be however you want. We can we you can know, put, we can put warnings beforehand. <laughs> Do you know the, the funniest thing I ever look back on? Um, my time with Pickford's. Pickford's in its time was the outstanding company before all the health and safety and um, and and the different caveats that you have to apply, abide by and so on. And the managers who run the branches was all about making money. It was purely that um, we've got to get the best out of these guys. 
Well, these guys all went to the pub. And the pubs in them days used to open at, at 11 o'clock, close at 3 o'clock, open back up at 5 o'clock. And the whole industry revolved around them drinking times. We'd have a truck come in from Edinburgh and arrive at Pickford's depot in Sheffield at 8 o'clock in the morning. And our challenge was to get done and get in the pub for a drink at dinner time. And then another wagon had come in at two o'clock. That was the afternoon assistance. And we'd go and unload that. And then the challenge was to get back to the pub again for as near to our five as you could. So I love that side of it. But just going back to the Pickfords one, one of the funniest ones we ever did, and um, I'll never forget, it was a big mansion. And there was this old spinster in this big mansion. And her pride was the cat. And this cat was a, it was a tortoiseshell cat, and I was on it with a guy called Alan Warship, good friend of mine. He's retired now, and, um, and Bill Cowley from Sheffield. And we went into the house, and the woman made us a coffee, and she said, the cat's a little bit poorly, and uh, I'm, I'm seeing its last days out. The cat will probably get all my money as well. I'll be giving it to the cat's home and everything. And Alan walked into the house and trod on the cat and killed it. <laughs> So the, so the cat had got a tumour on its brain and it was dead on the floor. And we were all stood around here looking at this dead cat while the woman was in the other room. We said, what are we going to do with it? So we all decided we'll take it upstairs and put it between two boxes. So we stood the dead cat up between these two Pickford's boxes at the top of the stairs. And the woman came, seen the cat upstairs, but it was dead. She thought it was alive. And then we brought it to the bottom of the stairs and tell her it fell downstairs. And, and the woman come in, she was distraught. Says, well, it's probably had a good ending and everything else. And uh, it had got a brain tumour and so on. So I don't know whether we did it a favour or whatever. And we still got a tip for the job anyway. <laughs> I can still remember to this day looking at the cat between the two boxes from the bottom of the stairs and the woman thought it was still alive. But, um, but I have so many stories I could tell you. Some of the times I walk into my yard with some of the guys and I, I laugh so much at some of the things they do. And they do some of the more, as you know, in removals, they do some of the most stupid things. And you think, you think to yourself, he's done that on a purpose. And they genuinely haven't. They've done it. They've done it because that's just how they are. But they do a fantastic job. And I don't know how they manage to do it. But uh, they, they, they do a wonderful job. It's the, yeah. it's the most amazing industry. It's full of family-run businesses. Um, yeah, the, the men themselves are. People don't realise there's more to it than than humping and dumping furniture, as I like to say. They're, they're playing human Tetris with boxes. They are going to stack your things. They're going to you know take care of it. People just don't realise it, and, and I think the general public need to realise that they need to start paying more for their removals than they do for their, their 65-inch flat-screen TVs that they don't want to pay anybody to, to, to move. It's ridiculous. It's The guys are just brilliant. They, are. they all need a medal. They all need nothing but a medal. I mean, I had a classic last week. We got a claim in um, an 84-inch TV. Um, the customer wrapped it in bubble wrap, and um, the guy put it on the van, tied it, and uh, absolutely fit perfect, took it off the van. And then they put a claim in that the screen was completely shattered. And the claim was for £300. And the television was on the wall, hung. So I don't know what they'd done. And why would you hang it if it were broke? 
So, I think that one's for Greg. <laughs> you heard it here first, Greg. <laughs> but yeah, it's some of the some of the things, and you're right what you're saying. People just don't understand. I mean, one of the um, going back to the COVID nineteen, we went into it in a big way. We we respect that people need to be in a safe workspace, and the customers need to be space into a safe space. We and it's not financially. We're fogging houses that we move them into. Not for the money, for the peace of the mind that the guys are going in there and we're not wanting to get that disease and the customer who's moving in there. And you can actually say whether it's financial or whatever it is, but at the end of the day, I can go home at night and think to myself, I've done something um, or I've, I've tried to do something to try and cut the chances of someone moving into an house that may have had the disease in it. And um, I don't want to put my guys in that position. And, um, yeah, it, it's... it's um, it's been a, it's it's been a tough three months. Um, we've come back to a busy period. I don't know what's around the corner. Um, we're probably fortunate, more fortunate than most companies um, in the work we do. Uh, we diversify into machine moving, craning stuff in and out, specialist stuff. Um, and when you look at some of the margins, just as you said, the customers need to realise they need to be paying the right price for that kind of experience. And that kind of service that they're getting from removal industries. Well, it still it just blows my mind even to this day that people don't want to spend you know, much money, yet you're moving their worldly possessions. You know, people have got twenty, thirty, forty thousand pound plus worth of goods in their house, yet they don't want to spend more than three hundred quid to move it. I, it. It doesn't make sense. Something's it does changed. Not make sense. Something's changed in this um, since the COVID situation. Um, we're we're appearing to win most of the work that we see um and i don't know for what reason that is and it's not price driven other people might say that's a different scenario in their area and i'm only speaking from experience in specialized movers that my salesmen are coming in and their hitting figures are something like 65 percent conversion rates um and they're not dropping prices to get that and we don't seem to be fighting against other companies um, and just a quick classic before we go. Um, there's a council house, rough council house in Sheffield. Paul went out to see it last week and he gave the customer my card because it was that bad. And there was that much furniture in it. Um, it was solid and Paul was out doing another call. And I phoned him up and he went, we don't want that job. He says, there's two and a half thousand foot in a three bedroom semi-detached house. He says, he must have just walked towards the door and packed it. There was an old ambulance on the drive, 1950s. We've got transporters for things like that. But but I said, well, what do you want me to do? He said, we don't want it. Tell him £2,000. And I costed it into the system, and it come out at £3,500 plus plus, and he got five quotes. And he says, everybody else's quote was just ridiculously cheap. And he went with it. Now I've got the problem with delivering it. <laughs> but, but that's how it goes. You know what I mean? Something you never expected. Brilliant. Well, Nigel, I appreciate your time. Not a problem, um, mate. Really, really do. Um, and I look forward to seeing you at some point, either in your offices or we'll, we'll have a beer at a BAR conference at some point, I'm sure. That's fantastic. So thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. And thank you very much. Good luck with everything. Thank you. Thank Carl. you very much, Nigel. Speak thank to you later, you. mate. Bye. Definitely. Bye-bye for now.
I sincerely hope you enjoyed episode 2 of Moving Matters. If you did, then please tell your industry colleagues about Moving Matters, which they can listen to on their podcast player of choice. And please, if you can, leave a review on iTunes. I would really appreciate that. My thanks and appreciation goes to Nigel Shaw for giving up his time to record this episode. Thank you again, Nigel. If you would like to find out more about Specialised Movers and the services they offer, then you will find links within the show notes for this episode or on our webpage, movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. And please, if you have a funny moving story that can be relayed to our listeners, do reach out to me by completing the contact form on our webpage, movingmatterspodcast.co.uk or send me a tweet at movingmatterspc. Well, that is all from me. So until next time, keep moving.